words. The one who gave his life for us. Reveal him to us through your word, we pray now. For his name's sake, amen. But if you've got a Bible, keep it open in front of you at Luke uh, chapter 8 as we uh, look together at this passage. Charles Blondin, or Blondin, was uh, famous for crossing the Niagara Falls on a tightrope uh, watched by huge crowds. Not only would he walk the tightrope, he would do various tricks as well. He once crossed the tightrope on stilts, another time blindfolded, uh, another time apparently he stopped halfway to cook an omelette. Uh, On one occasion, he wheeled a a wheelbarrow across from one side to the other and then returned with a sack of potatoes in the wheelbarrow, and he then asked the crowd whether they believed that he could transport a man across in the wheelbarrow. The crowd roared until he asked for a volunteer, and no one came forward. Uh, Eventually, an old woman stepped up and climbed into the wheelbarrow, She was his mother, the only person willing to put her life in his hands. Everybody had seen him do it, but couldn't bring themselves to trust him. But she knew him, and she placed her life in his hands. There is a sense in which the Christian life is like that. You cannot live a single moment as a Christian without placing your life in the hands of Jesus. Real faith is not theoretical. All those people watching Blondin theoretically believed he could do it, but not enough to trust him personally. Our passage today is all about faith, active faith, personal faith in Jesus. Two people had faith in Jesus in desperate circumstances. As we will see, their faith is fragile, it is imperfect, but it was faith, and it was faith in Jesus. That, that is the key. It wasn't theoretical. They, were, they, they, as it were, jumped in. Jumped in with him and put their lives in his hands. Three things we're going to learn uh, about real faith in this passage as we see these two people encounter Jesus. And through their encounters with him, you too may meet Jesus. And I pray that you, I pray that we may have real faith in him. Number one, real faith trusts Jesus totally. The public ministry of Jesus is recorded for us in order that we might understand who Jesus is, that he is Lord from heaven, God living amongst us. And this passage shows us that he is more than capable of matching and mastering all that humanity fears. The preceding story in Luke chapter 8, if you go back home and read it later, shows us that Jesus has authority over demons. And now we discover, straight after that, following on from it, Jesus has authority over disease and over death. He is Lord. He's Lord over those things that we humans fear, things that we cannot control. He has mastery over these things. Luke is inviting us to trust Jesus totally because there is nothing outside of his control. Verse 40, as Jesus returns to Capernaum, 
Those two people who have some kind of understanding of that. Two people who come to Jesus in faith, fragile faith, imperfect faith. In fact, they come to Jesus out of desperation, but they come with faith. And Jesus enlarges that faith. He expands their horizons, and he'll do the same for you. He'll do the same for us. So the first person is uh, this man called Jairus. Verse 41, Luke tells us he's a synagogue leader. This is a guy who is part of the religious establishment. He's not a priest or or a rabbi. He's the leader of the synagogue. His role would have been to organize the readers and the preachers to make sure everything worked smoothly. He would inevitably have had close dealings with the rabbis, the priests, the Pharisees. He's part of the establishment. Uh, And we know, don't we, already they're not very friendly towards Jesus. Jesus is a, a threat to them. And yet here is Jairus... Verse 41, he came and he fell at Jesus' feet. Astonishing. Why does he come? He comes because he's desperate. His only daughter, a girl of about 12, is dying. Some of you will know what that feels like. Nothing makes us as vulnerable as our children. At one instance, I remember very, very vividly a few years ago, driving as fast as possible to the hospital. Toby was in the back of the car, limp and lethargic. GP told us, get there as quick as you can. Don't wait for an ambulance to come. Get there as quickly as you can. He thought he'd got meningitis. Limp and lifeless in the back of the car. And I don't think I've ever been so scared. He was, but he was okay, by the way. He was ill. He wasn't meningitis. He was okay, thankfully. But that journey to the hospital, the wait that seemed like hours, that in reality was just minutes, that whole afternoon, Beth and I were desperate and fearful, and prayer seemed impossible other than, God, help! And I think that's Jairus in this moment. He comes out of desperation. He's not, he's not worried about what his, what his mates think. He's not worried about his reputation and his, his status. He's desperate. He'll do anything for his beloved daughter. And Jesus responds to that fragile, desperate faith. He goes with Jairus. He's on his way to Jairus' house, but he's having to battle through the crowds. In fact, Luke says, verse 42, the crowds almost crushed Jesus. And in the crowd is another desperate person, a woman who's been bleeding for 12 years. Basically, she's been menstruating constantly, hemorrhaging blood, losing blood day after day. It would have made her physically weak. There's more than that. According to the Levitical law, the Old Testament, during menstruation, a woman is ceremonially unclean. She has to keep away from others. Because if she comes into contact with others, they become unclean. We all know, don't we, social distancing, reducing the risk of contamination. We're familiar with that these days. But according to the Levitical law, everyone she comes into contact with would become unclean. That's an R rate of 100%. And so during, this, during that time, a woman had to stay at home, out of the way of others. She'd have been unable to attend the synagogue for worship. She's cut off from society. She's cut off from God. 
Normally, that would affect a woman once a month. This poor woman has been bleeding for 12 years. Her life is ruined. Totally ostracized from society. She shouldn't have even been in the crowd on this particular day. And like Jairus, she comes out of desperation. Verse 43, no one could heal her. Mark's gospel tells us she spent all her money, all she had on doctors. Luke, remember, is a doctor. He doesn't mention that because he doesn't want to show up his profession. But they'd all failed to help her. She's tried everything. She's spent her money. But still she's suffering. Last chance saloon for her. She's untouchable. And she reaches out for help one last time. Both this woman and Jairus are desperate. Interesting, isn't it? Jairus's daughter is 12. This woman has been suffering for 12 years. She's experienced 12 years of pain and sorrow. Jairus has experienced 12 years of joy and life with his daughter. He's an important figure in town. She's cut off from society. He's someone. She's no one. Two completely contrasting backgrounds, two completely contrasting experiences of the last 12 years, and yet their stories converge in this desperate moment. Both are desperate, helpless, hopeless. They remind us, don't they, that the world in which we live is broken. We never know when disease and death will invade our lives when they will invade our experience. We're not, we're not in control of those things. But Jesus is Lord over them. And real faith trusts him totally. And these two come to Jesus. They come in desperation, but they do come in faith. They've realized they can do nothing. They're at the end of themselves. You see, it is always desperation that drives people to Jesus. We wouldn't come to him if we weren't helpless. That's true for all of us, isn't it? It is only when we realize that we are helpless and hopeless and we realize our need for Jesus, only when we realize we cannot save ourselves, we need to come to him. Maybe you've never realized your need for Jesus until now. This woman and Jairus are pictures, if you like, of each of us. None of us can save ourselves. We're sick with sin and can do nothing about it. We're dying and we have no power over it. We're hopeless and helpless. We need Jesus. It, like them, it's only when we realize our hopelessness, our desperation, that we will come to Jesus and we will reach out and reach out to him and, and he will respond. There's an old chorus that says this, reach out and touch the Lord as he goes by. You'll find he's not too busy to hear your heart's cry. He's passing by this moment your needs to supply. Reach out and touch the Lord as he goes by. It's what these two people did. It's what you can do it as well. Reach out to him. He'll accept whatever trust, whatever faith we place in him, however small, however fragile and imperfect it is, he'll work with it, he'll expand it, he'll grow it. Both Jairus and this woman had to come to a position that they trusted Jesus totally. They knew he's their only hope. 
This woman, verse 44, came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, most likely one of the the tassels hanging down from the bottom of it, and immediately her bleeding stopped, instantaneous. And Jesus asks, who touched me? And of course, everyone denies it, and then Peter does what Peter normally does and takes one foot out of his mouth to put the other one in and says, seriously, Jesus, look at the crowd around you. They're crushing you, and you expect to know who touched you. Seriously, we've got business to do at Jairus' house. Stop wasting time. But Jesus stops, and he persisted. Someone touched me. I know power has gone out from me, verse 46. She's made every effort to remain anonymous. She knows she shouldn't have been there, but Jesus isn't going to give up, and she realizes that, and so she identifies herself and comes trembling and falls at his feet. She does exactly what Jairus had done a few minutes earlier, falling at Jesus' feet, trembling before the master of everything. Verse 48, he says to her daughter, Your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Your faith has healed you. Now, if we're honest, her faith was verging on the superstitious. She just wanted to touch Jesus' cloak. There's a a sense in which her faith was in the cloak. Uh, And still today, there are all sorts of people who have that kind of superstitious faith in, in all kinds of things. They'll go and kiss statues and icons and rub beads and go and try and find bits of, there, there are still cathedrals where you can go and you can, you can see supposed bits of Jesus' cloak and, and things like that. People who, go, who, who have that kind of superstitious faith. And Jesus wants to correct her. Jesus takes the fragile, imperfect faith and he works with it because, because deep down her faith was not in the cloak, her faith was in him, in his power. She was misguided in her understanding, but Jesus knew her heart. Uh, And I think it does teach us an important lesson about faith. Faith is not having a perfect theology. Faith is not, at its heart, a set of beliefs. Though they are important, that is not what faith is at its heart. So often that's how we understand Christianity. We, We have a statement of faith, don't we? A set of core beliefs. We hold as the fundamental truths of our faith. Uh, those, th- th- that statement of belief is hugely important. But can you become a Christian without understanding them all? Without believing them all yet? Well, I think the Gospels show us you can. I think this woman shows us you can. Beginning faith is often uninformed. You know, there are some people who, who spend half a lifetime in church before they become a Christian. They, they, they do know a lot of stuff before they believe. But there are other people who just come to Jesus out of sheer desperation with a, with a tiny seed of faith. And it's often uninformed. It's often mixed with errors and misconceptions. That kind of beginning faith rarely has a fully formed theology of the Trinity or the person of Christ, or the atonement. It's not to say those things are unimportant, but does someone have to understand them all before becoming a Christian? What does a person have to understand before they can become a Christian? I think it is that their only hope is Jesus. 
And the Christian life is the story of God taking our feeble, fragile faith and increasing it until we do understand more of Him, until we do understand more of His Word, and until we live every moment confident that this God is Lord of all. And Jesus is willing to take whatever faith we have and work with it. He does seek to correct her superstition. He does make it clear that he's the one who's healed her, but he accepts the fragile faith. And then comes the devastating news. While Jesus has been dealing with this woman, news comes, verse 49, to Jairus, your daughter is dead. So don't bother Jesus anymore. There's no hope. It's too late. But Jesus calls Jairus to have a deeper faith than that which he's already shown. Don't be afraid. Verse 50, just believe. In the film Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, the intrepid explorer is on a quest to find the Holy Grail. He needs to find it. He's desperate to find it in order to heal his dying father. The journey takes him through various tests until the final one. He stands on the edge of a deep ravine. The Holy Grail is across it. There's no way to get across. He's got to get across, but there's no way to do so. And the guidebook he's following is his father's journal, uh, and it shows him there's a picture of a man walking on thin air. And he hears his father's voice saying, you must believe, boy. The father's played by Sean Connery, so it's more like, you must believe, boy. And he hears his father's voice. And he has to take a leap of faith, stepping out with all of his weight, not just dipping a toe, all of his weight. And it turns out there's an invisible bridge right there for him to walk across. But the Father's words remind us, remind us of these words of Jesus to Jairus. Don't be afraid, just believe. And put all your weight on him. Jesus is not calling Jairus to take a blind leap of faith, but to trust in him. He's come in desperation. He's cast himself at Jesus' feet. He's seen what Jesus can do. Now he's called to believe Jesus can do even more. And so Jesus goes to the house, and he goes to the room where the dead child lies, and he touches her. In verse 54, he says, My child, get up. And her spirit returned. Death separates body and soul. This girl was very dead. Really dead. When Jesus said she's just asleep, they all laughed. They mocked. They knew she was dead. Jesus, of course, was interpreting events not from a human perspective, but from a divine one. And from a divine perspective, all that had happened was her body was asleep. For the Christian, death is often described as sleep. Why is that? Well, it's because death is the separation of body and soul. And death, that separation is temporary for the Christian. The moment a believer dies, their soul goes to be with Jesus in heaven. Their body's buried. Body and soul are separated. 
But one day Jesus will shout, wake up! And our bodies will wake up. And our body and soul will be reunited. There is an end to death for the believer. That is why Jesus can say, she's just sleeping. That's why Jesus can say, uh, that's why the New Testament can say, of any Christian who has died, they're asleep. They're just asleep. And then one day they'll wake up. Her spirit returns. You see, Jesus' words carry beyond the boundary of death. That is how powerful his words are. He has mastery over death. And this little girl is given back to her parents. Jairus has been challenged to believe, to continue to believe the impossible. How? By believing Jesus. It's not theoretical. It's by believing Jesus. He's Lord of everything. Real faith trusts Jesus totally. That's what these two did. Their faith was fragile and imperfect, driven by desperation. And maybe that that is you this morning. Desperate. Come to Jesus, who is Lord of all. Place your faith in Him, even if the faith is fragile. Even if you're confused about some of what Christianity is, Jesus will take that fragile faith, he'll work with it, he'll challenge you, he'll expand your horizons. Real faith understands that when we get to the end of ourselves, Jesus is there and he can be trusted. Real faith trusts Jesus totally. That really is the, the main thrust of the passage. But, and, and both Jairus and the woman teach us that same truth. Real faith trusts Jesus totally. But then I think each one teaches us something else. You see, the woman teaches us that real faith proclaims Jesus publicly. You you may wonder why on earth Jesus calls the woman out the crowd. She's gone to great lengths to remain her anonymity. She shouldn't be there. And Jesus calls her out. Why does he do that? I think there's three reasons. The first I mentioned earlier is to correct her superstitious kind of faith so she understands it's not Jesus' cloak that's healed her, it's Jesus. So so Jesus corrects her understanding. Already, you see, he's enlarging her faith. He's working on it to teach her correct theology. He enlarges her faith. Then look what he says, verse 49, uh, 48, daughter, your faith has healed you. This is the second reason he calls her out. You see, what's Jesus doing? He's teaching her that her faith has connected her with God. That's what real faith does. It connects us with God, the God of the Bible, the God who loves us, the God who saves us, the God who welcomes us. And Jesus calls her daughter. So this is the only person in the entire New Testament Jesus calls daughter. And when he calls her daughter, he is speaking as God. She's adopted into the family. By faith, she's a child of God. She's come to the end of herself. She's trusted in Jesus. He's made her clean. He's given her life back. He's brought her in. And Jesus establishes this truth, even by her fragile faith. She's brought into a personal relationship with God. And so the third reason Jesus calls her out is so that she publicly proclaims her faith in Jesus. She now has this personal relationship with God And she's called to testify. She has this opportunity to publicly proclaim what has happened. And by doing so, everyone knows she's now clean. 
in the presence of all the people, verse 47, she told why she had touched him, how she had instantly been healed. She gives this personal testimony of her encounter with Jesus. Romans 10 verse 9 says this, If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Faith involves believing internally. Also involves proclaiming publicly. There is no such thing as a secret Christian. Jesus will not let us settle for a private faith. In the Sermon on the Mount, he said, let your light shine before others. He wants us to proclaim him publicly. It doesn't mean we all have to be preachers, but it does establish the power of a personal testimony. Each of us has a story to tell of how Jesus touched our lives, how he's reached in, how he saved us, the difference he makes in our lives, the hope he gives us. If he's brought us into a personal relationship with God, he calls us to publicly proclaim him. In our all-age service earlier on this morning, as we were thinking about this, we paused and we, in our family groups, we spent just a couple of minutes sharing with one another the difference Jesus makes in our lives. What does Jesus mean to you? The story you can tell someone else. May I encourage you as you go home and eat your lunch, do that. Think about the story you can tell, what Jesus means to you. Just a sentence or two. What does Jesus mean to you? Publicly proclaim him. We might therefore wonder why Jesus says what he says in verse 56, right at the end of our passage. He's raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. He tells her parents not to tell anyone. Why? Why do you do that? Everyone in the house knows she, she was dead and now alive. Word is going to get out somehow. Why shouldn't the parents say anything? I, I don't think he's wanting everybody to keep quiet. It's, it, it's Jairus in particular, you see. You see, he's a prominent member of society. If he started telling everyone that Jesus has the power to raise the dead, two things would happen. First, lots more people would crowd around Jesus, but they'd be there simply to see miracles and not hear the message. But second, if, if Jairus starts talking about a resurrection and news gets out, it's, it's going to increase the opposition from the priests and the Pharisees, and, and, and the time has not yet come for that. So verse 56 is, is very unusual. There's good reason Jairus is not to say anything, but Jesus' general principle throughout his ministry, throughout the Bible, if you've encountered Jesus, you've got a story to tell. You can proclaim him publicly. Each of us has a sphere where we can do that, where we can share who he is, what he's done for us, in the office, the school playground, the football club, our family, our next-door neighbours. It doesn't have to be an eloquent sermon. But always be looking opportunities of how to get Jesus into a conversation, sharing what he means to us. Many Christians are taken in by the idea you can just live a good life don't have to say anything. You know, it is important. People, it's often said we're the first Bible people will read. They will see how we live. That is important. But the Christian message is a message. And the Bible is clear. People come to a saving faith in Jesus by hearing the message. See, when this woman experienced the restoring, healing power of Jesus in her life, he encourages her to testify publicly. Just a just to talk about what Jesus has done for her. 
It's what an encounter with Jesus does. It gives us a story to tell. There was once a, a young woman whose parents died in a, an accident very suddenly. Soon after their funeral, she went to the local church. She heard a compelling message. The following day, she wrote to the pastor and she said, on Sunday, I heard your sermon in which you said all have sinned and rebelled against God and, and therefore deserve eternal damnation and separation from God. You also said that God loved the world, that he sent his son to die so that by believing you can go to heaven and live with God eternally. And she said, my parents died recently. I know they didn't believe in Jesus, who you call the Savior of the world. Pastor, if that is true, they're now in hell. And so you compel me to believe that either you do not believe the message yourself or you don't care because we only live three blocks from the church and you never told us. Do we believe in this Jesus who has mastery over disease and death, the Jesus who restores life? Do we believe in him? Have we encountered him? If we have, we've got a story to tell. Real faith proclaims Jesus publicly. Third and finally, real faith waits for Jesus willingly. Can you imagine how Jairus felt? Persuaded Jesus to come to his house. He needed Jesus. And then Jesus stops to find out who touched his cloak. Interruption costing valuable time. Why would Jesus bother? This woman wasn't exactly in a life or death situation like Jairus' daughter. And then how devastating when the message comes that his daughter was dead. Jairus needed to trust Jesus totally. He also needed to wait for him willingly. You see, he was about to learn that he could not only trust Jesus' power, he can trust Jesus' timing because he can trust Jesus. God's timing is not our timing. We often wonder why God doesn't work to our timescales, don't we? Our plans. Maybe you've been praying for your unsaved husband or, or wife for many years, decades, and you, and you wonder if God just doesn't care. Or you're worried about your rebellious teenager who's walked away from the faith you've taught them and God doesn't seem to be doing anything about it. Does he not care? He's got other things on his mind. You can imagine those thoughts racing through Jairus' mind, and he, yet he's going to learn an important lesson. The delay was going to have the effect of magnifying Jesus' power and glory. Jairus went to Jesus asking for a healing. He receives a resurrection. Because this Jesus can not only restore ruined lives, he can give life where there's death. What he does for this girl, he does for all who will come in faith. He does it by, by tasting death on our behalf. And marching out the other side, we can come to him in faith. God's delay, Jesus' delay, was in order that his glory might be seen more fully, more wonderfully. It reminds us, Jesus did something similar with his own friend Lazarus, didn't he? He didn't go straight away, he delayed. When he got there, Lazarus was dead and buried. But then, as with Jairus, delay meant Jesus' power was seen in a greater way. We need to learn to wait for him. Those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. As Jesus expands our faith, he grows our faith, he teaches us to wait, to trust in his sovereign power and timing. But while we wait, we keep trusting. That's what he said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe, just go on believing. We're waiting right now for many that you might be hungry, you're waiting for your lunch, we'll be done soon. Uh, we're waiting for Jesus to return, more importantly. 
Just as he told Jairus he's coming back, he's told us he's coming back. It's been a long time, but he's coming back. And, and when he comes back, he will fully deal, finally deal with all those things that cause us fear and sorrow and tears. Disease and death will be a thing of the past because Jesus will bring in a new world. All the miracles we see in the Gospels are signposts, pointers to that new world. They're just tasters of something greater to come. They point us to a future world. When the skies open and Jesus returns, that will be our day of healing and resurrection. That will be the day when our feeble, fragile, imperfect faith is turned to sight. Let's wait for Jesus willingly, trusting His timing is perfect. As we wait for Jesus, by the way, we'll see plenty more miracles. Just like Jairus saw a miracle in front of him while he was waiting, we'll see plenty more miracles because many more lives will be rescued as people come to Jesus. They, They will meet Him as we share the story of Jesus. They will meet Him. And He'll work the miracle in their life as well. Real, life, real faith trusts Jesus totally. It proclaims Jesus publicly and waits for Jesus willingly. Is your faith the real deal? Step out in faith. Reach out for Him. Trust in Him alone. Hold nothing back. Put your full weight on Him. And watch how He takes your fragile faith and increases it every moment. Increases it every day until every single moment is lived by faith in the one who is Lord of all. Our final song celebrates the fact that our Savior is mighty to save.
to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen.